slash and cast. All right, folks, welcome to the Monsters, Madness, and Magic podcast. I'm your host, Justin, here with a quick word before we dive in. Now, in this episode, I chat with actor Rob Weedhoff about life in Indiana, losing limbs, wild L.A. nights, Rockstar Games, Red Dead, John Marston, and much more. As always, thank you for listening, and if you feel so inclined, please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcast. Anyway, without further ado, here you go. Howdy there, you yellow-bellied scum-sucking son of a gun! John Marston here, and you're listening to Monsters, Madness, and Magic. Let's keep it that way. Boils and ghouls, this is your comrade, the Crypt Keeper here, reporting dead from the sanctuary of the strange. Tonight's macabre myth is a fright-filled feature, one overflowing with monsters, madness, and magic. <laughs> Take us back in time, Rob. You're a youngster. You're a book reader, fort builder, troublemaker, or all of the above. Oh, man. I definitely was a troublemaker. There's no doubt about that. I was a fort builder. I was a fort builder, tunnel digger. Oh. As kids, we used to go into the cornfields and steal corn, steal an ear of corn, and then shuck it into a sock. And then at night, you'd wait till it got dark and put on dark clothes, and you'd go corning. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I grew up in the South Carolina. I've never been corning. <laughs> friends lined up at somebody's window you can see them in there watching tv you know the whole family's sitting there and you on the count of three everybody throws their corn right at their window and it scares them to death. <laughs> <laughs> so i mean you know i guess harmless i guess you know but we dug these really awesome tunnels yeah. so that we would have a place to go and hide after we corned people and one of our parents found out about it they shut it all down was this a halloween tradition or is this just a every weekend occurrence <laughs> no, no no i mean it was you know i guess it was this time of year but right before harvest right they have corn in the fields so we would do it in the fall and you know try to do the ones before us that taught us how to do it so we would have better 
stories than them. So, so what year are we talking about? Where are we at? Our, this is uh, Indiana, obviously. Oh, yeah. And we're talking, I was in elementary school. Late 70s, early 80s? Early 80s, yeah. Mm. I don't know if anybody does it anymore. What about cow tipping? I've never actually done that, but I know about it. I, I guess I just haven't ever tried it. I don't know. I don't know much about cows, but I know that the people that own them care very much about them. <laughs> And yeah. if you take them over, you could have a big problem on your hands. What's life like for you growing up in Seymour, Indiana? You know, typical weekend in high school. Oh, man. I was in sports in high school. I, I loved playing sports. And so, you know, like this time of year, we'd have a football game on Friday. And then I would want to go hang out with my girlfriend because at that age, I thought it's either all my guy friends or my girlfriend. And otherwise, I was feeling like I was missing everything. Everything right. that went on, I was going to miss it all. But we didn't, you know, Seymour's a really small town, so there's not much to do. When I was with my friends, we would all talk about how we really didn't want all of our girlfriends to follow us around, even though we all secretly did, of course, you know. We wanted them to follow us, but we would complain when they did. We, we actually nicknamed them the Mosquitoes. <laughs> We pretended like we hated it, that they were interested in what we were doing, even though we all were like, yeah, this is perfect. What about your parents, Rob? Were they in the arts at all? No, my dad was a surgeon. Also, my grandfather was a surgeon. Wow. And I think everyone expected me to also be a surgeon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that didn't happen. That's never going to happen. Well, everybody's come to terms with it. They're all right with it. Maybe one of my kids will be a surgeon, but I definitely did not have what it takes to get that accomplished. So I've had some fun, though. I've had I'm, a pretty good all right for yourself. Well, thanks. <laughs> I've enjoyed it. You know, in my preparation, you know, do a little perusing around. I did see that your grandpa was on the Hoosers basketball team. I've never been to Indiana, but I know that's a big deal. Oh, yeah. He was actually on the 1940 national championship team. First time IU won a national title, my grandpa was on that team, which is so cool. He never played, but he was there. <laughs> It doesn't matter. You're on the roster. Yeah. Of course, he loved to tell stories about it. And we all love to hear him. We're all huge IU basketball fans. Yeah, yeah. That's really cool that he's got that, had that story. And, and yeah, we do brag on it. Of course we do. We're really proud of it. <laughs> and, and nobody, I, I know the first thing I said was that he never played. But if nobody, if nobody asks, you don't always have to tell that part. Exactly. And there's no footage. I can't go YouTube it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Is that the one they made the, uh, the Gene Hackman movie? Is, was that the team? No, that actually was um, a town called Hickory. It was about the Indiana High School. Ah, uh, okay. It's been a while since I've seen it. Yeah, but what a great movie, man. Yeah, I love that movie. And the thing is, honestly, it's separated now. Before it was just you played whoever you ran into. Now it's separated by class. So little tiny school is not going to run into a, a big giant school that would just wipe the floor with them. I mean, it's not ever going to be the same as what you saw in the movie Hoosiers. Still, I think because, I mean, you know, when I was growing up, there wasn't much going on around here. But there still isn't. So... <laughs> High school sports, that's where people go. They want to go and be part of it and be supportive. And I think it's awesome. I do love it. But it is. It's like that. You know, it's wild. Basketball season for sure. And if you don't come from the countryside or, you know, in the middle of nowhere, like where I'm assuming you're from, that's where I'm from. High school sports is really all people have. You know, it's basically like have a college team for your town if you don't have one, you know. Yeah, people love it. And, you know, the kids playing love it. You know, I think that was part of the reason why I enjoyed it so much. There's so much support. I never was going to go play any sports in college or definitely not pro. But growing up, 
you think, yeah, I'm going to be a professional athlete. That's what I'm going to do. Of course. Yeah. What are the chances of that? Right. And even if you don't, that hope is nice. That's hope. Hope is good for everything, you know, to have some hope. Absolutely. And, you know, the friendships and the lessons that you learn and winning and losing and all the things. It, it was really good for me. I really enjoyed it. But there's a game. Okay. So my hometown is Seymour, but now I live in a town called Brownstown, which is like 15 minutes away. And every year, Seymour plays Brownstown. And because we live in Jackson County, they call it the Jackson Bowl. And it's like a college football game. Yeah, dude. Are nuts about it. Seymour won this year. I guess I'm happy about that. I went to school there. My kids, they'll go to Brownstown. It's all confusing, and I don't know what to do. With you get the best of both worlds, then. Yeah, I can't lose. Really, I guess I can't lose. Right. <laughs> So was the basketball gene passed on to you, or were you more of a football guy? Oh, goodness. I was neither. I, baseball, I was a decent baseball oh, player. Gotcha. But not, I mean, for a high school kid, I was decent. But I was never going anywhere with that either. But I really enjoyed it. And basketball, I, I wanted so badly to be able to shoot. <laughs> I just wasn't a shooter. I wasn't. I mean, I was good on defense, and I hustled. But I was not the typical Indiana, that kid can shoot. I couldn't shoot. <laughs> So when you think back, you know, to growing up, what are some films and TV shows that come to mind? You know, things that you really like watching? Well, Hoosiers, for sure. Maybe I'm biased, right? I don't know. But I, it is a great movie. So for those of you who haven't seen Hoosiers, please go watch Hoosiers. Also, uh, Rudy. I think it's the same writer or the same director. Seabiscuit, all of those movies. And then there was a fourth one that was, it was a soccer movie. I think about the World Cup, maybe. But it's uh, similar themes. It's mm. the underdog love those kind of things the movies that make you cry because you're so happy that man and i you know i guess those are the ones that have done that to me always loved indiana jones and i've always loved like the uh, i love the jason bourne movies i know that wasn't when i was a kid yeah yeah 007 what you james bond <laughs> I love that kind of stuff. I, I've always thought that was really interesting. Mission Impossible, that kind of stuff, you know? You try too hard to enjoy it. You just have to... Nah. It. Tom Cruise is still doing it. I don't know if you've seen uh, a recent Top Gun, but... I just recently watched it, and it was amazing. And Cold Chills, you know? You hear the music, and you think, Oh, <laughs> Yes! Let's go! <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, that dude's like 60, just jumping out of planes and stuff, you know? I know. It's wild, man. <laughs> I mean... He's a great, great actor. I, I don't know that anybody could argue that. I mean, you may not love the guy because right. of whatever, but he's not only a great actor, he's a really interesting person, too. If, if you just read about who he is off the screen and the stuff that he's... That he's a pilot. He's a million <laughs> really awesome things, too. You know? I mean, it's like, dude, you, do, you literally do it all. It seems like from every role that he's done, he's taken a little piece of it and applied it to his actual personality. It would be interesting to meet Tom Cruise and be able to hang out. What is that guy really like? What's he like? Is he cool? I, don't, I mean, you don't know. There's no way to know. When you get to that level, man, I don't know. I can't even answer that. I don't <laughs> If I ever talk to him one day, I'll let you know. We'll, we'll interview him together. Yeah, I'd love to be there, man. I want to know. I think I bet he is. Why wouldn't he be? Also, when I was uh, doing my perusing, I saw early on that you lost a finger and figured there had to be a story about that. Yes. 
So unbelievable. My my sister is three years older than me. And so I was 17 months old when this happened, but she was riding an exercise bike in our family room. And I was on, everybody had one of those little horses that was on springs, right? You know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. So I was on that thing. My mom left the room, she said, for 20 seconds. And in that time, I had gotten off my horse and walked over and tried to grab the chain on the exercise bike while she was riding it. And so... Yeah, it cut my finger all the way off. It was actually stuck in the spokes of the of the. Oh, and then two, yeah, insane, right? And two other fingers of mine were just barely hanging on by a thread, but they didn't come all the way off. So they, of course, rushed me to the hospital, and uh, then from the ho hospital in Seymour, they sent me down to Louisville, Kentucky, which is like an hour away. It's six, 55 miles, whatever it is, to a hand specialist who's this world-renowned hand specialist. So they were able to reattach my finger, which I still have. <laughs> It's still there. I mean, it's, it doesn't look right. It looks like sloth. Well, I've named it sloth, but it's still there. The length of it is correct, but they did surgery on it so many times that this skin underneath where it would, you know, your tendons would be, whatever, that's all frozen. So I kind of have like a hook, but it's been, you know, it's been that way basically my entire life, all that I can remember, you know, when, when you start using fingers and 17 months. Yeah, I was real young, but this is crazy too. When they finished the surgery and they realized however long it took to recognize that it was going to live and not, you know, shrivel up and die and fall off, whatever. I was, I don't know how long I held this record, but the youngest successful replant, they called it, in the world. I had a world record from this finger being cut off. Nobody wants that record, but I had it. Destined for greatness. Yeah, man, I was going for it. At 17 months, I was going for it. Hey, man. And now, so now they've got these rubber rings that you right. can wear as a wedding ring, which I, which I probably should wear anyway because I do construction and cut myself almost every day. I know that I would hook my ring on something and get stuck whatever but my actual ring that that i wore in my wedding is almost looks like a handcuff it's got a hinge because the knuckle on this finger is too fat for a ring to go over closes like a handcuff <laughs> and so my lot my wife loved to put it on me whenever i go and travel for things i like to wear it because i think yeah this is i'm not working i'm hanging out i want to wear this ring whatever Every time she puts it on, you hear it snap <laughs> together. She's <laughs> it's probably good that that happened to you so early because you probably don't even remember the pain. No, you're right. I don't. I did go back my senior year of high school. I went after I was pretty much done with sports and everything. I went and tried to have it repaired one more time just because, you know, I thought, what if we can fix it? And they said, yeah, let's try. So I did have surgery on it one more time. And they gave me all this stuff to put on my hand that would stretch my finger. And it was a process that honestly, I got real tired of. Yeah. It was like physical therapy for your finger, but also it made your finger immobile. And I had this weird looking thing on my hand all the time. I just said, no, nah, it's not happening. And it's probably my fault. They probably did do it in a way where it would work, but I didn't stay with it. So now I have a hook. <laughs> hey, that's pretty cool. Too. Is that your <laughs> is that your dominant hand? No, no, it's not. And uh, to be completely honest, the only thing that ever the only thing that ever is weird. And if I put on a new glove, 
whether it be just a glove, if it's cold outside and you put gloves on. Sometimes I have to, to work it onto that finger. Or when I was a kid and I would get a baseball glove, it hurt. It actually kind of hurt a little bit. But other than that, I don't know the difference. Most people never notice it either. I think your natural hand position kind of has your fingers. Kind yeah, of yeah. I couldn't so. like, right. You just put your hands up there. I couldn't tell anything. Yeah, you wouldn't know maybe unless I told you. But you did know. Yeah, I know now. I'm looking at it. Kind of distracting. <laughs> Put that back on. God. The uh, the Chris Elliott scary movie waiter. Do you have you ever seen that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I've had all kinds of fun nicknames because of it. <laughs> it's a party finger. Came to party. That's a good line. I bet you use that. That's a good line. <laughs> <laughs> what was your initial plan going into college? I knew I wanted to go to IU, but the problem was. Honestly, I should have gone to another school in Indiana, which is IU's rival, Purdue. Mm. And the reason I should have gone to Purdue is because I wanted to be a pilot. I wanted to be a pilot. And I don't know if I would have, you know, had the grades to do it. You got to be really smart in math. You got to be good at a lot of, I mean, I, I would feel comfortable. I actually have flown a plane. I have flown a plane, not a passenger plane. And there was somebody with me who was telling me what to do. But I wanted to be a pilot and fly people all over the world. I thought that would be so cool. I guess I just thought, no, I don't know how to not go to IU. I've wanted to go there my entire life. So I'll figure something else out. And I never did. And I still don't know what I want to do. <laughs> I'm in the same boat. But you know what, though? It's, it's okay. It's okay, I think, because... I'm enjoying what I'm doing and I don't have regrets. I think that I made a choice to do something that most people would did and probably still do consider to be a pretty crazy move by me just saying, yeah, I'm going to LA. Why are you going there? Uh, I'm going to be an actor. But you've never been an actor before in your life in anything at all. Yeah, I know, but I'm going to see what happens. I mean, that was really like the conversation I had with everyone. And people thought, what's wrong with you? What, what has happened? There's something <laughs> going on. <laughs> why, are you, why are you doing this? And I thought, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. And I did. And I didn't have a huge, huge amount of success, but I had enough to say, yeah, that was really fun. And I learned a lot. And mostly I learned a lot about myself, mm. which I really appreciate. But I had a great experience, and I'm so glad I did. So take us through the decision to ultimately go to L.A. What was, was there a catalyst or an aha moment where you said, you know, screw it, I'm going for it? When I finished college, I had a job. It was a construction job in Indianapolis. And I enjoyed that job a lot, actually, too. But at the end of the year, they said, you've got two weeks paid vacation that if you don't use, you just lose it. And it's not going to roll over to next year. So you can either stay here and work or you can go on vacation. And I thought, I had no idea. I was happy about that information, of course, but I went back and told my roommates like, hey, we got to go somewhere. I got paid vacation. You guys have it too. And they said, no, we've already used ours. <laughs> so I honestly, I don't know. I don't know what made me say I'm going to LA because I went by myself. I went on a vacation by myself to Los Angeles. Maybe I just thought it'll be warm there and uh, it'll be something different. I don't, it's not like me to make that decision to do that and then do it. I did though. It's hard for me to explain exactly how I came to that and how it all worked out. But what, you know, when I say that I learned a lot about myself, there were a thousand different things I learned about myself. And, and I think most importantly, what I learned was that it was really cool to throw myself into the unknown 
Mm, yeah. and, and try and figure it out on my own and have the courage to do it. It just all, I mean, it all happened really fast, honestly. But, you know, I went on this vacation. I was scared to death. I somehow made friends, had a, a really great time and decided I'm moving here. <laughs> <laughs> and I came back to Indiana and I think, you know, I finished out the year at work. And then I think that February, like I, I might've gone to LA in like late October, early November. And by February, I lived in Los Angeles. I had completely said, I'm going. But yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. you put yourself in an unknown, unfamiliar situation, and you learn a lot about yourself. And so I, I really appreciate all of that, for sure. Before you even moved to L.A., there's no interest whatsoever in acting as you're growing up. Like, there's, you're not in theater. You're not interested in going to, you know, drama class or anything. You're just, is it just popping your head one day? Is it such a light switch? I think that, you know, going there on vacation and seeing the excitement around all the billboards and everything there it's all talking about yeah. movies, mm. tv shows and it's a wild wild place with lights and everybody's moving around you know it's any big cities like that but you know la was all about the entertainment industry and and i just thought oh my goodness look at this and these people are loving it they love it and they're happy and they're motivated you know so i think it was it was yeah. more that, that it that made me say yeah i'm going i'm doing that and that's what i'm going to do i'm going to be an actor but yeah you're right leading up to that experience i didn't want it i didn't have any interest in being an actor i mean i think it would be cool i guess i always thought it would be cool to you know be a movie star right yeah. i think a lot of think that that would be really cool and just that the lifestyle that you are able to live when you're a movie star but i never I, like when i was a kid playing sports i really thought i'm gonna play professional baseball that's what i'm gonna do i never ever thought i'm gonna be an actor that's what i'm gonna do it just never entered my mind i yeah, just i never studied anything acting wise until i got to la i took an improv class which i really enjoyed and i took an acting class which I didn't enjoy at all. <laughs> but I probably learned from it. But I was so, so, so lucky that I was chosen to play the role of John Marston in Red Dead Redemption. I, there's nothing I can say other than I was so lucky. And I, you know, I really enjoyed that, of course, too. And, and I'm still enjoying it, even in this very moment. It's because of that that I'm able to hang out with you, man. But it could have been so many people in my life then would be, yeah, I stayed out in L.A. for long enough to realize, yeah, that's I'm not going to be a movie star and had fun. But here I am back home. I mean, it could so easily be that that is my reality. It could be. It, sh it almost should be. I, I feel like I won the lottery. I recognize that that it could have been so different and i'm very fortunate and very appreciative of my experience with this whole lucky situation i mean based on what you just said i don't with no acting experience or no really desire and then you get this role of john i really don't think it could have been anybody else really you know by the way you put it it seems like it was and it's your voice literally like the voice you're using now is john so i i think it was you and i i thank you yeah i don't i mean i don't i just can't i don't know how to explain it and you know i worked with all these people that not only the people at Rockstar, of course, we all know that they're very talented and very well educated in what they do. But these actors I worked with, too, a lot of them have extensive backgrounds and their education with acting and whether it be theater or film or what everything. So much talent I was surrounded by. 
and you learn from that. It's hard to not be inspired by it. It's really, really cool. And I and I know, you know, the people that I that I worked with will continue to have success if that's what they choose to do. They just will. And I've seen it. I mean, I've seen it happen since the beginning of Red Dead Redemption. All of the people that I see in commercials and I think, hey, there's that guy. I worked <laughs> with them. And I don't know. I just, you know, people ask me, how do you get into acting? How do you get into voice acting? How do you get started in this? And I think, <laughs> for one thing, you got to go. You got to put yourself in the right position to have someone recognize that that's what you're trying to do. And uh, maybe it works out, maybe it doesn't. But you can't just want for it to happen and just hope that someone decides, hey, I've got this five million dollar budget for this movie and i don't know if you're an actor or not but would you be interested in being the star of it you know i, mean, I don't know <laughs> it doesn't work that way right you um, miss every shot you don't take that's the truth man mm. that's the truth and the other thing too that goes along with that that i really enjoy to think about is that as far as we know we only have one life and we're living it right now so what are you waiting for go do it whatever it is enjoy it live that's how you become an actor <laughs> everybody write that down you live you live and you'll be successful in acting i don't know get really lucky that's how i did it easy mm -hmm. enough prior to rockstar so you're in la how do those first auditions go you know honestly i didn't I didn't audition for a whole lot of TV shows or movies. I had a whole lot of commercial auditions. And sometimes in those, you don't say anything at all. Sometimes you do. Most of the time, they want you to basically just show that you're willing to be silly. I mean, for a lot of the things that I was auditioning for, like you're willing to dance if you're not a dancer. You're willing to laugh at yourself and be, be in a position where they got someone that they know that they can work with and have fun with and you're willing. But I did have an audition. I had an audition for an X-Men movie, believe it or not, to be the role of, I can't even remember what the role is called now, but it's a blue guy that can teleport himself. It was a Nightcrawler? Uh, I think that's right. Mm. Yeah. And the only reason that I had that audition is because a friend that I went to college with worked for the producer in some capacity and said, hey, if you want to read for this, you can come in and read. Who knows? Maybe they'll love what you do. And I thought, that's really awesome. Thank you. So I did. So that the character has a German accent and, <laughs> and it was written this character, but it speaks English, right? So and I, th I thought, ah, I don't know that I know a German. So I rented Schindler's List because I thought they are German people speaking English. It's... <laughs> I just thought I got to hear the accent. I got to be able to know something. You know, I didn't have enough time to hire a coach, <laughs> a dialect coach or whatever they're called. And I think, I really think that if I repeated a line from Schindler's List that I just listened to, I could repeat it and sound pretty accurate on my German accent. But when I tried to translate that into the lines that I was given for a movie that's not at all about Schindler's List. Oh, it just didn't work, man. It didn't work. It was horrible. And But another great learning experience, I guess, right? But yeah, I guess it didn't go well, basically. Commercials, I did all right. But any other audition for an actual role in something did not go well. I, if I hear about a remake for Schindler's List, I'm going to tell him I know a guy. You have to say the line right before you want him to say it. And then he might be able to. As you know, obviously, I had been on here uh, not long ago, and he mentioned that you guys met working at a bar in L.A., so tell us that story. Oh, man, yeah. 
this bar, it was just a bit, it was a busy, busy bar. And I think that before I worked there, it was way busier. It was owned by these celebrities. Gosh, and now again, I can't think of the name. Supermodel in the 80s, gorgeous, long brown hair, ah, whatever. I can't think of her name, so I can't even tell you that part of it. But so this bar was a very, very busy, busy bar and big. And so, you know, it had like 15 bartenders that were different locations throughout the place. And it was always packed. And so my first job at this bar was I was a bar back. So I would stock all the all the beer and all the liquor and make sure that everybody had ice. And I would cut limes and lemons and do all these things to make sure that the place kept running. You know? Right, right. But I really enjoyed it because I even as a bar back, because the place was so busy, I made good money at it. Well, so one night, one of the door hosts wasn't able to make it. And so they called me. They said, uh, you're going to just wear all black, dress as nicely as you can, but you're going to work the door tonight because so-and-so can't make it. And I thought, I'm not going to be good at that. I'm not going to be good at that. But I'll do it. And the reason I knew I wouldn't be good at it was because it was like an exclusive type place, right? Where you're not supposed to let people in. And because there's a line behind this velvet rope, it makes the place, you know, from the outside look like, well, we definitely want to go there. Yeah. Because they won't let anybody in. So we're going, you know, and you would get this huge line. I was horrible at it. Yeah. Everybody that came up, I was like, yeah, come on. <laughs> right on, man. Get in there. Have a great time. This is awesome. <laughs> I was not a good door guy and I had seen it and I had been the person on the other side of the velvet rope thinking I really really want to go in there and I don't even know why but you won't let me so I guess that's why whatever but yeah when people came up to the door for me I was like yeah yeah come on let's do this get in there have a great time so wasn't long after that that Ben was hired and it may or may not be to replace <laughs> me as the door guy because I was bad. It probably was. But I would then, once Ben started, I would do the door on the very, very slow nights, like Sunday, Monday, Tuesday mm. night. I would be the one there and then nobody would come anyway, you know, so I could <laughs> screw that up. But I would also bar back. And yeah, we worked together at that bar for, I don't know how long we overlapped there. And But cool, you know, we were cool. We we were friends. We didn't, I guess we didn't hang out a whole bunch outside of work, but we always were cool with each other. Yeah. But then I ended up getting a bartending job at a different bar and I was making more money and I'm enjoying it more, I guess. So we didn't see each other for a while, Ben and I, until I was, I had been working on Red Dead Redemption for a couple weeks and all of a sudden there's ben and <laughs> gotta look at each other like oh my goodness man are you i said are you working on this thing yeah are you and i said yeah man and he said well oh man all right so i got this character and i'm trying to figure it out wait wait what character are you and i said i'm john you're john and i said yeah i think i'm i think i'm the i think i'm the guy I think I'm the... <laughs> bullshit and you know if ben is such an awesome i mean you know you you've spoken with him what a cool guy but yeah we've got this crazy story where what are the odds of that Tim? exactly that's why i'm saying there's too many components here i think it was just meant to be you guys it must have been i mean it does, yeah. none of it makes any sense to me again i i appreciate it with everything i have and <laughs> it is just wild i've known ben for 20 years now you know it's crazy
So I've never been to LA myself, but I can imagine how weird and maybe a little rowdy a bar there can get. Just off the top of your head, do you remember any crazy nights? I shouldn't say this out loud because I know there are pictures out there. When I was a bartender, the bar that I worked at was this rowdy, known for its happy hour bar right on Sunset Boulevard. And instead of having half off drinks during happy hour, which was from four until eight o'clock every day, instead of half off, you would get two for one. So people would come in and they'd get whatever they normally drink. And I remember the first time I went there as just a customer, it blew me away because I drink beer and I'd say, yeah, uh, Miller Lite, you know, and, and they would come and bring me two. And I, no, I just need, I just need one. Thank you. No, it's happy hours, two for one. So it's just an awkward, weird thing to have two beers in front of you at a restaurant that are both yours. So the first one, you got to get rid of it. So you drink it real fast. And then the second one, you're about halfway through that. And the waitress is back again. Do you, do you want another beer? Yeah, I'd love another beer. Thank you. So now she brings you two more, but now you've got two and a half beers. So everybody is just pounding their drinks. It's just a wild and crazy place. So yeah, a lot, a lot of nights in there got crazy. But while I was bartending there, I realized because it's Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles, there were so many people that would walk in and pretend, you know, like they'd walk in the door and pretend like they're waving at someone across the room. Nobody's waving at you, dude. Nobody's, <laughs> waving. Nobody's even looking at you. Nobody saw you come in but me. And I'm, I know what you're doing. You're pretending like you're someone that you're not. It's so, it happens so frequently. It's LA, man, you know what I mean? Yeah. Actors everywhere. I mean, everywhere. It's nonstop. But I got into the habit, and this is so bad, but I would moon people. I would moon <laughs> I wasn't expecting you to say that. I would walk out from the, from the behind the bar and stand right in front of someone and moon them and be like, that's what you get. And it would be to most, mostly guys that I thought, quit, man. Knock it off. Take your sunglasses off. You're inside. But I would do it to women, too. It was bad, man. It was bad. It was fun. I really enjoyed it, but I was the one who was like, <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I just told that story. Hey, you were keeping the peace. That's that's what I'm going with. I was partying, and I was and I was keeping it real. Is what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> the you, sheriff. You always got to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Let them know you're nobody. Here's my bare ass. <laughs> Sit down. What an idiot. It's true. It was fun, though. All right, Rob, let's talk Red Dead. Was that your typical audition, or was that a right place, right time thing for you? Oh, my goodness. Everything about it was kind of weird. First of all, I got a call from my agent who said, I've got a last-minute audition for you. If you can make it, please get over there. It's for an untitled video game project. And I said, well, what is that? What is that? And uh, we don't know. We don't know. But, you know, we kind of went back and forth on it. We decided that it was a probably a commercial or a promo thing for a video game that had already been made. Just didn't have a title yet. We didn't know. Nobody knew. But I thought, yeah, I, I'll, I'll get over there. I, it was like a rainy night in L.A. and rush hour. And I thought, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll go. Because that's why I moved there. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I, Went there and I had an opportunity. And so thank God I didn't talk myself out of it or convince her that I couldn't go for whatever reason. Because I remember when I got the call, I thought, right now you want me to go across town? So anyway, I get there. This casting office is full of people. And the majority of the men were wearing camo, like an army was in there. And I thought, nobody told me. I didn't have that stuff anyway. But I thought, 
Nobody told me I had to be an army guy. Nobody told that going it. You know, like the whole time I thought this is wrong. It's a waste of time. I'm de- okay, but I'm here. So anyway, they they gave me my my sides, which was my uh, my script, I guess, for the audition. And it was a full page, like a monologue kind of thing. And I thought I'm supposed to memorize all of this before I go in that room. And even if they had given me an hour. I still would have thought, I don't know that I can do this. Well, so I got about 15 minutes with it and somehow I felt like I was pretty comfortable with it. Went into the room, finally, there was a table. Normally there's nothing in the room besides a guy and a camera on the opposite end of the room that says, do something, whatever you do it, and then you walk back out and that's it. But this one had a table, like a big card table kind of thing. It had a bunch of clothes on it that were like just scattered around whatever so the the camera operator the session runner whatever you call it says uh, all right here's what's going on they want you to try and say the lines that you were given if you need to and he kind of looked pointed over to his side there was a uh, a big whiteboard that had all of the dialogue written on it if you need to reference this you can but try your best not to and you just need to fold those clothes while you're saying the lines and, t- and talk directly to the camera and so i thought yeah all right all right whatever here we go and so i start doing it and i get all the way through it and i thought i I think that I just said all of the words. I think I said every single one of them. I memorized it somehow and I just spit it out and I feel great about it. The clothes were folded. I felt awesome about it. <laughs> the guy says, all right, great. So that was great. That was great. But that's not that's not what they're looking for. And he gave me a couple changes to make, whatever. And he said, now I got to run out just for a moment. So take your time with that. Think it through. When I come back, we'll do another take. So the guy's gone for like five minutes. And so now again, I'm like, all right, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm going to do this right. And this is going to be awesome. So he finally comes back in. But when he comes in, he's got another actor with him. And he looks at me like, oh, Oh, man, like he completely forgot that I was in the room. There's no doubt that he completely forgot. And he says, hey, uh, you know what? What you did was great. It was perfect. And I'm so sorry. We're really busy. We've got to keep going. So thank you so much for your time. All right, great. Thanks. And like shoved me out of the room. And I thought, no way, man. No. (laughs) (laughs) And I left there and was so bummed out all the way home. And, you know, for then, of course, forgot all about it, as you do. You know, mm-hmm. you go to audition after audition, and you can't hold on to it. You got to just let it go. So forgot all about it. And a couple of weeks later, got a call from my agent. Hey, you remember that untitled video game project thing? I said, yeah. And they said, well, you booked it. And I said, oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Well, what is it? We still don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so I had, I had been... Uh, given the instructions to show up at this location and we were going to rehearse and we were going to do all this stuff. And I thought, I, whatever, we're not shooting today. We're going to ship. We're going to rehearse. Okay. Whatever. And when I got there, I, I signed this non-disclosure agreement from rockstar. And at that moment I was made aware of what it was. They didn't give me a title of the game, but they told me this is what we're doing. And this is your script, a portion of my script. And so we started reading it and that's how it all went. It was wild. Strange that that guy said that that's not what they were looking for, yet your voice is literally the voice that they chose and used. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I don't know. That guy, I... I don't know what he was told and I, you know, I could have very well done it in a way that was incorrect as far as I'm sure yeah. I did. That's what he said. But yeah, the director mentioned that he had watched all the auditions and 
there were people that they had in mind, specific, well-known actors that they had in mind for the role. For whatever reason, that didn't work out. I don't even know exactly who those people were, but he said, you know, I'm, wa I'm watching all these auditions and as soon as yours came on, I knew right away. And I thought, how? I mean, how? I, who knows? Who knows how all that worked? Divine intervention, I guess, yeah. for me. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Otherwise, I, I can't explain it. I mean, yeah, obviously, you know, your voice doesn't change much to do, John. So what were the, those first meetings like now that you got the job in terms of just getting directions from them? You know, did they just tell you from Jump Street? Well, you kind of just got it with your voice a little bit here, a little bit there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, I mean, they didn't try to mold me, I guess, in any way other than they said, you need to know that your character is the most badass person in the world. He's not afraid of anyone. He is the most badass person you've ever imagined. And I thought, okay. And they kept reminding me of that. So that in combination with, he was angry a lot. I, I recognized <laughs> that John was an angry badass. Uh, but I, it just kind of slowly but surely, you know, they would say, this is going well. You're doing, you're doing great, but let's try it this way. They knew the character. So the other thing about that, too, is that when I was given the script, like I said, I, I was given my portion of the script at the time when I signed my non-disclosure agreement. But we didn't get the whole script at one time. We got it in pieces, and those pieces were not in order. So I had to, uh, really, I had no choice but to trust the director when he would say, that was it. That's the one for that take. Let's take that and let's move on. And I would think, awesome. I'm glad that I did that right. I don't know how I did. I <laughs> Over time, I, I started to realize who this guy was. But yeah, I can't, I really can't take credit for so much of it because I just did it by luck. I said, yeah, that was it. All right. All right. Cool. <laughs> Were you familiar at all with Rockstar prior to any of this? No, I mean, you know, I knew, I knew the Grand Theft Auto series and, mm. But I didn't really know it well. I had friends that had played Vice City and I watched, you know, I never had the controller in my hand. I just, I thought this is cool. It's different from the video games that I had played most recently to that were Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> this is on the very first Nintendo. Zelda and you know, those games have all been upgraded, I guess, obviously, and redone since then and they're way better now. But that was my experience with video games. I thought, man, this is insane. This is really cool. It's like you're controlling a movie, kind of. Yeah. Even then. Mm. And now with the technology and the way that they've made the graphics so realistic, it, it truly is like controlling a movie. And yeah, an interactive movie. That's, that's how I explain Red Dead and Red Dead 2. Yeah. It's an interactive Clint Eastwood movie. Yeah, it, really, <laughs> it really kind of is. And, uh, it's, so, it's so cool. You know, I guess I can't really wrap my head around the fact that I, you know, still, like that's something that I was able to be part of. And it's because I think it's so cool. I mean, I think watching, I do, I'm not much of a gamer, right? I, right? I should say I'm not much of a gamer. I'm not a gamer. I think that someday I want to be because I know that people that love games really love it. And I think <laughs> it's awesome. I love that for those people who are able to do it right now. I don't have time. I just really don't got young kids, job, wife. Someday I do want to get into it. I will. For me, it's a lot easier to watch footage on YouTube because it's all right there. You don't have to, you know, to watch Arthur Morgan walking around a camp and all this stuff. And I think, wow, you know, I'm, I know what it looked like while we were in production where we all had the performance captured suits on. <laughs> it would look ridiculous, but everybody did their role. I mean, you see what everybody did. It, it, it's amazing how it all translates to a video game. It's so cool. 
when does that well eureka moment hit you at what point did you realize that this was a big deal was it after the game released and start getting bombarded with convention appearances and stuff <laughs> well truthfully there wasn't there wasn't a whole lot after red dead redemption i did go to a couple conventions but even then they were they were nothing compared to what i've experienced since red dead 2 has come out and i don't know if that's because these conventions have just grown in popularity so much in that eight years or whatever that span was between the end of red dead and the end of red dead 2 but i don't even know how many years it was but it's insane now when you go to a place and it's got eighty thousand people <laughs> in a weekend that come through and hang out and party at these conventions where the first one that i went to was in san antonio but it was in the suburbs and it was in a high school gym a high school cafeteria <laughs> It was a high school cafeteria, and there were, uh, I don't know, 15 guests or something like that. And the majority of the people that I met would walk up to the table. You know, they'd walk by 15 times, and then they'd finally say, we've talked to everybody else. Who are you? And, and they'd say, did you draw, John? And I'd say, oh, no, I was actually, and they'd go, oh, my God. Because <laughs> oh, they would hear my voice. <laughs> Yeah, it was the guy that played the role, and they were like, "No way! That's that's so crazy! I had no idea." And I, I mean, so I'm just saying, like, nobody knew who I, nobody knew who I was at all. There was not even a sign behind me. It was just like, "Yeah, I'm at this place meeting people, and it's cool." But I didn't meet anyone because nobody, people thought that I was the artist that drew the character. <laughs> so it's so different now and uh so much more enjoyable for a billion reasons but i've had some crazy experiences there too how different recording wise was the first one from the second one for you the way the game works right in red dead redemption you're playing the game and you see a glowing x on the screen and if you walk into that x then you start a cutscene, right being the playable character in red dead redemption the way the technology worked if there was something that the player was going to see, they were going to see it and either they were going to see John in it or they were going to see it through basically John's eyes, mm. right? In Red Dead 2, it was different because Arthur and John, I guess, in the epilogue, can walk in and out of different conversations that are happening whether you see them or not. They were all recorded. But if you're walking through camp, you have the choice to go over and see what John and Micah are talking about. Mm -hmm. or, or you don't have to, but it's there. Or, you know, Miss Tilly and uh, Miss Grimshaw, or however that looks when you're in that camp. It's different because I was able to be in scenes that may or may not be part of the game. Someone's experience of the game, yes. I guess. That was very different, and it was cool. It was it was actually really, it made you feel, not that there's ever stress, but, you know, you want to do a really good job, and everyone did, and I think everyone did do a really good job. But knowing there's a chance no one's ever going to see this, it kind of lightened the tone of it, you know, where you could really just do what it was that you thought was going to work out best, you know, and, and there wasn't pressure around it and then i think it probably made for better scenes when people do go interact with those conversations they i guess that's my feeling of how it was different nobody else knows that though besides me <laughs> <laughs> so it's hard I, I hope that everybody understands what it is that i'm trying to say i understand it i hope i'm following you man i got you <laughs> all right <laughs> just wild man 
So uh, I spoke with Roger recently, and you, he says you're not a fan of the games, but he was a huge fan of Rockstar even prior to then, and he was a big fan of the first Red Dead Redemption. I don't know if you guys ever talked about that, but he actually played the game a lot before ever auditioning for what would eventually become Red Dead 2. So he, uh, when he talked to me, he mentioned specifically that he looked to your performance as John to sort of help see where he needed to set the bar for Arthur, you know, because... You mentioned earlier also you don't know why you know your conventions where you were at a gymnasium in texas and why red dead 2 is at all these was well, because of the work you did on the first one red dead 2 was so big was because you paid the way with red dead 1 and that's basically what roger was saying so i just gotta ask you you know did he ever come to you for some advice on author at all to be the leading man i guess you know i mean we had a lot of conversations i want to say that it's very kind of roger to say that what he said about red dead being what it is because of our red dead 2 being and I, and I think that that's very kind of him but i don't don't know that red dead redemption 2 there are so so many people that played red dead redemption 2 that never knew that red dead redemption ever existed and they loved it and then later learned oh there's another red dead that's oh well maybe i'll check that out maybe i won't i think that the conversations that roger and i had were about that kind of like he was afraid that basically you know when people played red dead redemption they played as john until mm. the epilogue and then they played as Jack and I hate it that people didn't love playing as Jack because the kid who played Jack was such a cool cool kid I just wanted for him to have the light shining brightly on him which is what he deserved but a lot of people were like no that sucks <laughs> And so, I mean, it's and it's just so unfortunate, but it's true. That's what a lot of people did. And so Roger was a little bit worried that there was going to be a Red Dead Redemption that had John in it, but you weren't going to play as John. You were going to play as Arthur. And he thought that people were going to think of Arthur the same way they felt about Jack. And I right. said, no, dude, they're, they're just not. And there's going to be so many people that play this game that never knew the first game and all that stuff. And so we didn't have a lot of conversations about it, but... For a moment, that was kind of something that he was like, man, I just hope that doesn't happen. And I thought, it won't, it won't, it absolutely won't, because I'm watching him work, you know, and I, even on the very first day that I was there, and I walked in and I could see him doing his scenes, I thought, this guy, I mean, he acts like he's been doing it for 20 years. And I've, I've said that before, but it's the absolute truth. He was so comfortable and confident and i thought yeah I, t I called my wife that night and i said taylor this game is gonna be so awesome it's gonna be so good you know just based off what i had seen roger do in one day and yeah. i was right I, but i mean it's like i said it's kind of him to say that but that's not true it's nice thank you roger but you know the way the story is told red dead 2 allows somebody to come in on the second entry and not miss it you know because it is chronologically first even though it's second you don't have to play the first one it's really to understand what's going on no no it's just a continuation really of, of red dead redemption 2 so mm -hmm. and you know the graphics aren't as good as red dead redemption 2 it was way earlier that they made the game but the story i mean the story is if you like the story of red dead redemption 2 you're gonna like red dead redemption story as well it's uh no doubt about that the writers that's who made this game man the writers and obviously the animators and all the people that do all this work that never get any notoriety it's all the develop developers they're the ones that do it they wrote it they knew the story they saw it in their heads they hired people and hoped that they would make their characters sound like what they wanted them to sound like and that's you know the game comes out and everybody loves arthur morgan and everybody loves dutch and everyone hates micah and everyone <laughs> all this stuff 
but it's that's unfair too that we get all the light shining brightly on us when you know we did put a lot of work into it and tried hard but the amount of people and the amount of time and work that goes into making a video game what it is unbelievable unbelievable nobody would ever imagine i don't think and i guess that's part of the magic too right you know it's when somebody makes it look effortless that's part of the magic you know that kind of talent working on something it's like the grip guy on a movie set, you know. Everybody wants to interview the grip guy. Honestly, yeah. The unsung heroes. And, mm-hmm. and it, you see that in sports, too. Like the linemen. Yeah. Nobody, nobody goes up after the Super Bowl and says, hey, man, you block really well. <laughs> you're a hero. No one does that, you know. But if your quarterback's on his back, you're going to be the first one to hear it. The way it goes, it's just, it's truth. The truth of the matter is, though, that, you know, video games, yes, there are actors and People do perform, and hopefully those performances are well-received. But the amount of time and effort and skill, all of the things that make a video game be what you see, that's not the actors doing that. It's not. I mean, they have a part of it. They play a role in that process, but a small role. I think when you really look at the whole production. So shout out to the developers. Stand up and take a bow, please. So Rob, since uh, Red Dead and Red Dead 2, have you noticed or gotten any opportunities for audiobooks and stuff like that? There was a video game. It's not another Rockstar. It's not another, It's not at all. It's like an app on your phone. And so it's a game that these people reached out to me and said, would you be interested in doing this? And I said, yeah, actually, I think it would be really cool. And so we negotiated. We got everything lined up. They said, okay, it's probably going to be a month or so before we can start doing this. But just, yeah, we're happy that you're interested. And I was happy to be involved. And, and then I never heard from them again. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why, but I thought, man, I, you know, it's exciting and it's fun. And I love, I love the work. I really enjoy the work. What I don't like about being an actor is the process that you have to go through to get the actual work. We're actually doing the work. It's Mm. a joke, you know, I mean, kind of thing. I just think, what was that? What was that? Because I didn't ask you for this. You came to me out of nowhere offered me something we both agreed on it it was going to be awesome and then you disappeared what (laughs) happened what is that hopefully that guy's okay (laughs) i don't know man and uh you know other things i guess there was a horror film that someone said i want you to be in my horror film and i just moved back to indiana and i thought thank you but no thank you for right now and we'll see what happens you know down the road maybe we can work on something but yeah i don't think that it works that way i mean for me it hasn't mm-hmm. where people are just knocking down my door saying hey you've got a great voice please read our book and please do this and that whatever you audition like everyone in my experience that's the way it's been i also haven't been i haven't been actively searching for work either so maybe if i did it may it may stir up the waters and things could happen but yeah i'm kind of i'm kind of just hanging out to make red dead redemption 2 it took almost for me it took almost four years i know other people work five on it right but i live in indiana my family lives in indiana but we did all the work in new york so i would travel back and forth for a two-year period a stretch of that four years that I was working on it. I would be in New York for three weeks, then I'd come home for two, then back for three, then back home for two. And so, you know, having a wife and kids, they didn't know me. I didn't know them. 
I was really happy to be doing the work, but it was a wild time. Anyway, now that I'm home and I've been home for years now, mm -hmm. but I'm really happy to just be home and just I hear you know, that. hang out with my family. It's really what my interest has been since since we finished up Red Dead 2. So I'm enjoying it too. Do it. I mean, shit, you earned it. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah, it's fun. Kids are awesome. So Rob, uh, what's the best life advice you've received and who gave it to you? Oh my, my goodness. Now that now that you're saying that, I'm I'm trying to think of like when someone's sat me down and said, hey, look, I think probably ultimately the best advice I've ever gotten is to just be cool to people, be cool and, and enjoy people. Everyone's got something to offer. Allow them to share that with you and enjoy it and appreciate it because I don't know who would have told me that, but I know that, you know, honestly, it's something that I think ultimately what do you want what does everybody want in life i mean we can say that we want a new car and we can say that we want a big house and all these things that we think that we want because we're told that that's what we want what we want is we all want to be loved and accepted and we all deserve that and so it's kind of it's kind of one of those things where and, and that now that maybe that's it maybe that's the best advice that i've ever gotten and i got that from a fellow bartender at the bar where i was a crazy person <laughs> mooning folks I mean, that wasn't all really crazy me mooning people but <laughs> but he had gotten uh he had gotten a tattoo and he was showing it to me it was in a different language and he said this is basically what this means and it was it was you know it doesn't matter where people are from where they live where they where they're going whatever everybody wants the same thing and that is to be loved and accepted. And it's also something that we all deserve. Yeah, man, you're right. Because I do want other things too. I mean, of course I do because I'm human and, and because I've been taught to. But truthfully, when it all boils down, you can give somebody a brand new car that they're going to love for two weeks. And then it's, you know, the shine wears off, right? Or right. whatever, the big house. Then you start finding things like, I don't want to clean this whole thing. But if you're loved and you're accepted, you appreciate that forever. And so maybe that's it. Well said. I guess just to put a bow on everything, Rob, uh, is there anything on the horizon for you that you can tell us about? Anything you want to share? You know what? There is something, actually. I got to play a tiny, tiny voiceover role in a movie called Lulu and the Electric Dreamboat. And it's an indie film made by a couple guys who are Irish. And, and it's all shot in Ireland. And it's about a punk rock band and a love story. And I don't want to give too much of it okay. away. Don't but get in I, trouble. You've got the title, and uh, I don't even know when it's going to be out, but soon, soon. And uh, say it one more time. Lulu and the Electric Dreamboat. I'll be looking for it. Yeah, man. Well, I hope you enjoy it. <laughs> Justin, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it, and hopefully, I'm not too crazy for your show. I know mm -hmm. that's probably different than most the other the other cat. Have some cat. crazy folks on here, so now you're about middle of the pack in terms of craziness. All right, man. Well, I really, really enjoyed it, man. Thank you so much. All right, Rob, you have a good one. I'll send you a link to this and all that. And down the road, I'd like to try to get you, Ben, and maybe Roger together. We'll see what we can do. Oh, uh, that would be awesome, man. Yeah, be that for sure. All right, Rob, have a good night, man. All right, you too. Uh, Take care, Justin. Slash and cast. All right, folks, that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Rob. As always, thanks for listening. And remember, you can find us on... Any social media platform by simply searching Monsters, Madness, and Magic. And we'll see you back next week. Monsters, Madness, and Magic. <laughs>
Welcome to the night. You think you know Night Demon? Then the Night Demon Heavy Metal Podcast is for you. Step into the darkness as we peel back the curtain to give you an unprecedented, all-access look into the mind and the heart of the demon. We're talking band history, song analysis, studio anecdotes, stories from the road. It's everything a diehard Night Demon fan could want and more. This is the only place to learn the inside scoop, the deep dive trivia, the untold tales from the band members themselves and those closest to the Night Demon story. Need more? The sacred Night Demon crypt will be pried open to reveal demo recordings that have never before seen the light of day. All with in-depth commentary by the band and the people who were there for the writing and recording process. This is a gold mine, a treasure trove of all things Night Demon. Head over to nightdemon.net or wherever you listen to podcasts.